Today is a very special day because today I get to sit in our office, in our Team Pitfalls lab. So it's very, very exciting for me. Vincent is still sitting at home in his home office uh, so that we can observe social distancing. But like for many other countries in Europe and in the world, right here in Belgium, in Brussels, we get to access our offices back. So that's a very exciting time. Uh, of course, we need to be very careful. We need to observe all the rules and uh, all the social distancing rules. But uh, it's still an exciting moment because uh, we like our office very much uh, we've decorated it the way we like it uh, in what we believe is uh, you know help us be creative so a lot of legos here a lot of space invaders so yeah very excited to be here and the weather is really good today so um, yeah it's very very exciting this is team time your weekly Q&A session to building better teams and leadership practices. This series of episodes is part of the Better Teams podcast, hosted by me, Vincent, and Max. Thank you for being here with us. Have a good listening. Hello, welcome to a new Better Teams podcast episode. Vincent here. I'm product manager at Entevors, a consultancy company helping you building better teams through coaching, training sessions, workshops, and interim management. You can find everything we do on our website, entevors.com. In this episode, we go back to the foundations of what a team is. In previous episodes, we looked a lot at different aspects of teams. How to deal with conflict, how to strengthen commitment, how to gain acceptance, how to build trust, how to deliver feedback, and more. Today, we want to explore the foundations of that and how we can help managers and first-time leaders understand what is going on in the team that they work with or in the group of people that they work with. Because in many cases, they are not teams yet. All of the questions we tackle come from you. Thank you. Do not hesitate to keep on sending your questions. And they also come from managers, and especially first-time managers worldwide, that we have the great pleasure to coach online. The cohesion of a team. It is a very rich and complex balance between team members among themselves, with their superiors, and with the whole organization. Some people talk about the chemistry between people. Others rely more on physics when they try to identify the different forces that can bind people together, like atoms. If team building may not be a science per se, we can still break it down to a few essential principles of what makes and breaks teams. But first, like any good scientist, we need to define our object. So I ask Max what, in his opinion, defines a team. That's a tricky question. I mean, you can find a lot of definitions online if you go to Google or in the books uh, or in history. I think to me that the most important aspect of a team is the common goal, I would say. I would put that even before trust. I mean, trust, of course, is the fundamental enabler to make it happen. I mean, a team cannot exist without a kind of function without trust. But to be a team, you need a common goal. So you can have a group of people who trust each other, but they work on totally different things. So you could say, yeah, there are high-functioning group uh, at what they do, but they don't do the same thing. They don't work towards the same thing. So it's not a team in itself. 
And that I think you can apply to everything. I mean, uh, to sports, to military, to business, uh, anything. You know, it's uh, if they have a common goal, they're a team. Doesn't mean they function as a team, but that's that's the next part. That's where you need to build trust. But first, you need to have a common goal because you know when you have a common goal, you can really hold each other accountable towards that goal. Basically, you can capitalize on the skills and, and competence of each person, but towards that goal. And if someone is let's say lacking behind for any kind of reason, you know, the accountability within the team will make it such that uh, they will. Try to compensate for that and help that person to make it happen because they all depend on that common goal. I would say that's the, the fundamental definition, you know, a group of people working towards a common goal. So the common goal would define the core of our team. Every team member would gravitate around it and never go too far, all working in the same direction, being complementary. Add trust to the recipe to keep everyone closer and you will see that they start developing accountability. As we said in the previous episode, When you are a team having a shared goal, if someone struggles, everyone does. Does it mean that you cannot be a team if everyone has different goals and objectives? What about sales teams, for example? Are they teams or high-performing groups of people? There is a lot of debates about sales team, you know, because if, for instance, one team member has different objectives than his colleague, essentially one colleague can be super successful and let's say that person has met her quota, but that other colleague, you know, didn't. So he's basically not successful, he's struggling, but still that other person, you know, ah, just one, right? So they, they can't really help each other towards that because they have different goals. How can you consider yourself a team if uh, one member can be successful and the other one cannot? I think this is really a fundamental uh, aspect of what being a team is. When you have a common goal and people working collectively to achieve it, you create interdependency between people. But what does it mean for everyone in the group? Should they be experts in something and complement each other? Or should they tend to be equally skilled and interchangeable? We talk about interdependence. Maybe each person should be specialized in something. Uh, you know, when we talk about scrum teams, for instance, team members should be interchangeable in a way that, you know, they can all uh, finish up the work, you know, started by someone else, for instance. It's, you know, it's good to have specialists, but they should have a common base, which makes them, you know, interchangeable in the task that they need to, to realize to achieve the common goal. Sometimes the team cannot deal with the fact that one team member is, uh, is away for two weeks because that person has a certain specialty. And to me, this is an impediment, by the way, because uh, you don't want that. I think the single point failure in the team is very, very dangerous because then also by doing that, you end up having team members who are more, let's say, valuable than others. And I think that's, uh, that's, a, very, that's a real danger. That's a real danger. So I think here, uh, your role as a manager is to make sure that uh, this competence is being backed up by uh, at least another person or maybe two other person in the team. You know, When we say, yeah, if this person is hit by a bus, <laughs> I think that's quite a negative aspect. But you could say, what if that person wins at the lottery tomorrow that's a nicer approach but the prime is the same right and when you talk about you know uh, having someone more valuable than the other member of the team that's also a danger that you don't want to have because you lose the equality in the team and things like that so that's something you need to be careful with i asked max if he had tips and tricks to foster efficient self-steering teams and he digged into his personal experience or as he likes to put it his examples from the trenches I won't call it tricks because I really believe in it. You know, it's not just a game I play, you know. I think when you create really a, a self-steering team, you know, who's really capable of organizing themselves and still moving towards the goal that they have, that's the best situation you can have. And you as a manager, of course, your role is to remove impediments. 
If you want to shape an interdependent group of people, you need to always remind them about the common goal and how they can affect each other, how they are all accountable together towards achieving that goal. And that can be very, very simple things. If people have been working with me in the past, uh, I don't know, in the past 15 years, you know, in my teams, uh, they might recognize that one. But uh, one of my favorite things to do to actually assess this interdependency and also the individual accountability, but also the team accountability is when it comes to holidays. When a team member, you know, comes to you huh, as, uh, as the manager and asks, okay, can I go on a holiday? I would like to take the last two weeks of July, for instance. Can I do that? What I like to do in that situation I always tell them, okay, it's not me to decide whether you can or cannot go on holiday, you know. I just want you to inform me that you plan to go on holiday and that, and you tell me what you've prepared to make that happen. So essentially, you should be telling me, uh, I've checked with person A, with person B, and uh, they will be able to replace me for that or this or that task, you know. So essentially, showing that uh, the accountability towards the goal is still within the team. The fact that you're gone for two weeks, it's normal, it's good, you will enjoy your holidays, but the team should be accountable for making sure that uh, we are still moving towards that goal, probably in in a slower fashion, but the accountability should stay within the team. And if, for instance, you come to your manager and just ask that person, okay, can I go on a holiday? You actually make it the responsibility of the manager to verify whether you can, whether we can replace you in this or that task. And I think it doesn't make sense for the manager to do that because the team is the best informed to, to, to do that and to know who can replace you in that or that task. That way you keep the accountability in the team because if the manager tells you, yes, you can, and then something goes wrong during the holiday, then, you know, who's accountable? You know, the manager essentially is going to have to look for a replacement, is going to have to start running everywhere, and you, you don't feel responsible because your manager told you, okay, yes, you can go. The responsibility towards the common goal should stay within the team. And of course, the manager should be informed because the manager maybe has some information that you don't know. For instance, there is something happening in that period that wasn't communicated yet to the team, which will come you know, in the way of you taking the leave. It's much more powerful when a team member comes with a plan. You know, I plan to go on holiday and this is what I've put in place with my team member to make it happen. It's the team. The team is making it possible for its team member to take a leave and still move towards the goal. So Max made it clear that you want the team members to develop a strong feeling of accountability to make sure that everyone is being responsible and acting in the team's best interest. You're listening to the Better Teams podcast. Thank you. We hope you enjoy it. Max and I wanted to tell you a word about a great initiative, Hack Your Future Belgium, because they are looking for mentors and if you have a background in IT or in HR, you can really help them. What is Hack Your Future Belgium? It's a coding school for refugees in Belgium. When you become a mentor, you do a six weeks mentoring program with graduates, helping them update their CV and LinkedIn profile, helping them write a motivation letter, doing mock interviews and give feedback to these mock interviews. Max is currently involved, and I can tell you that Hack Your Future is a very welcoming community of volunteers. They do their best and more to have an impact on refugees' integration process into the Belgium IT sector. You want to be part of it and make a difference? Get in touch at contact at hackyourfuture.be or on LinkedIn, Twitter, on Facebook. Thank you for listening. Let's go back to our conversation with Max. Let us now say that you are a new manager. Let us imagine a blank page here, like the one I have now in my hand. This blank page is a new adventure. Are you ready to write this new adventure? Okay, let's go. So, a new manager walks into a team. 
Wait, that sounds a bit like a beginning of a joke, doesn't it? Yet this is serious business. A new manager walks into a team. What should he or she do to assess the cohesion of the team? Maybe it's a new team. Maybe it's an existing team. Essentially, the manager uh, has left or was asked to leave or, or got a promotion, anything. Essentially, the, so now there's a new leader in the team and you just arrived. Chapter 1. There might be some appraisals waiting for you. Your predecessor maybe has left you some um, appraisals, you know, but these, these things are individual. But what's interesting with appraisal and stuff like that, or performance review, whatever you want to call it, or performance improvement plans or things like that, is uh, to look at the kind of uh, objectives they have. Because if the objectives they have are all personal objectives, then you know you're going to have a problem down the road. But if there is, let's say, uh, 90% is a, is a team goal, you know, a team objective, then it's going to be much easier to shape the team around that get the information if there is a handover period with the previous manager that's great very often there isn't so you're gonna have to dig into the, the paperwork and also you're gonna have to deal with past promises from that person that's a different topic chapter two the one-to-one -one conversations You learn about people individually, you know, uh, when you have your first conversation with them, which are very important that you need to keep having, of course, this regular one-to-one -one when you really discuss what is blocking the person. Don't talk about performance, don't talk about progress in the work, you know, just focus on the people. And that's where you're going to learn the most about them and where you're going to help them the most. Chapter three, your first team meeting. You will start to learn a lot about the team when you start uh, seeing them in a meeting, for instance. I think that's a very good setting to learn about the team. On the very first meeting, of course, they will be affected by you being there. So probably they will not behave as they would normally do. But you can already start to observe some dynamics. And I think as they get comfortable with you, you will see more of their, uh, their true nature as a team. Okay, this is the day. You are at your first team meeting. Everything is set. The whole team is here. There are a few things that you will want to observe during the meeting. One of them is signs of conflict. Not as something I would like to tame, but uh, as a sign that there is trust going on in the team. Of course, it depends on the nature of conflict and how it's being handled. I'm always a bit worried when I see teams refraining from entering conflict, because if they don't enter in, into constructive conflict, there is a danger that they are not putting everything they have into achieving this common goal as being, you know, uh, really voicing their opinion, because that's what they should be doing, right? They should be debating on what is the best approach to achieving that common goal. So when you see people having a lot of assertivity in their opinion but not in the way they will voice it that can be tricky because they will probably refrain from pushing that opinion much further and it could have been that their approach was the best to achieving the best result for the end goal which is the goal of, of the entire team so in that case lack of conflict is hurting them for me it's a very good indicator i would say looking at how they behave you know when there is a conflicting situation and also what is the the nature of it you might see some people uh, trying to solve that so taking a certain role so you can already see some people taking different roles within the team and that's very good you know you can see already some um, let's say leadership capabilities in people You will also want to look for the level of trust within the team. Trust is everything. You can't have a team without trust. At least you cannot have a functioning team without trust because then they will not be able to, to tell things to each other. There will be no psychological safety in the team. So it's just, you know, it's a recipe for disaster. But you need to have trust in the entire team because often you run into clans, for instance, you know, when you join... Uh, a new company and uh, you inherit a team, you can see there is clan A and clan B. So there is trust going on in clan A between members of clan A and there is trust going on in clan B between 
members of clan B, but that's not what you want because then they end up, you know, with uh, having a common goal within clan A and a common goal within clan B, and those goals are different, <laughs> so they run against each other, and that's uh, that's a recipe for disaster. So you don't want that. So that's something you want to observe as well because it's very likely that uh, there's a divergence of opinion on this goal or in the approach of doing that. You know, so it depends on the nature of the conflict there. You will also want to be mindful about the nature and level of energy in your team. If you go into a meeting and people are like, you know, very, very quiet, doesn't mean they don't care, doesn't mean that they're not committed. It's just that um, you can feel the energy is low. You might want to check, you know, what's going on. Because you can have also a team of people very introverted, but it doesn't mean that the energy is low, you know. It just means that they are a little bit more quiet. They are, you know, they are not thinking out loud, you know, like extrovert people would do. So try to assess this energy in the team. Last but not least... Be mindful about the bonds and existing relationships between team members. I mean, they don't need to go uh, to go out in the weekend with each other to be a team. Huh? They can have their own personal life and huh? they don't need to be uh, with each other 24-7. But looking at relationships is also a good indication that the team is functioning well. I asked Max what he would tell a manager complaining about a lack of cohesion in his or her team. That's a tricky question because it all depends, you know, what is this lack of cohesion? You know, what is it about? You know, is that uh, people are disrespectful with each other? Is it that people are not committed to the goals or at least one part of the team is, but the other part isn't? Are you facing clans in your team? Is this one person who's influencing other people? Do we have new members in the team? First, I think you need to really frame what the problem is. Is this about the goal? You know, do we have an issue with the clarity? on the goal so essentially does the team know what they have to achieve does every single member of the team has clarity on what has to be achieved for instance this could be a, a reason why you know people are moving forward and another part of the team isn't it could be a question of buying you know into what has to be achieved maybe they they get it maybe it's clear maybe there are some members of the team who are much more junior they have less experience they feel less comfortable with it they feel less competent and this of course can create resentment from the other member of the teams for instance because if the other people in the team are more senior and they have an output which is very different than those of the, the junior members this can create also an imbalance in the team so there you have to see how to take advantage of the seniority of some to help you know uh, pass on that knowledge to the junior member of the team this is all about uh, knowledge management So it can be pairing people together. Uh, sometimes senior people don't really like to pass on the knowledge. They don't have time. When they join the company, they had to build that knowledge themselves. So they assume that this is a responsibility of the more junior people. They are partially right. But what you want to do, for instance, when you pair them together, you know, uh, you have the more junior person documenting those conversations, those knowledge transfer conversations. So you don't put that kind of pressure on the more senior person. And this can create this kind of mentorship uh, relationship. So this could be, This could be a way to dealing with a team cohesion issue, which is due to that, so to a difference in competence and experience. If it's really interpersonal things, like really, you know, because often we think it is and it isn't, you know, when there is conflict in the office, usually we think it's a personal conflict, but it uh, turns out that the nature of the conflict is way, is way different. But let's assume, okay, in this case it is, you know, you can have very toxic people and I think uh, they deserve to be heard and you need to discuss with people. But when you have someone who's just dragging the team in, in the wrong direction, putting toxicity in the conversations and things like that, actually you need to act on that. Even if that person is very skilled, even if that person is an expert in a specific domain, which is a key domain for your business, 
you need to act on that. You know, I think we talk about brilliant jerk. I think that's a, that's a term which is not understood by many. But that's also what we see a lot in uh, in TV shows. You know, like the person who's really an expert, but he's really uh, disrespecting everybody else. And we tolerate that because we are like, wow, this person is really skilled. This person is brilliant. Is smart, and that's no, you don't want that. You know, <laughs> so you need to deal with those people, and uh, sometimes that also means uh, having to let them go because the team needs you to act on that. If they see that you tolerate that because this person is super important for the business, then you got a, you got a real problem. Other issue is cohesion that you can have. It's also about uh, acceptance of your role, of course. Working on uh, getting accepted as a manager is also uh, it's also very important. If you want to dig deeper into some of the topics that we mentioned in this episode, like conflict or acceptance, I invite you to listen to previous episodes of the podcast where we specifically discuss these topics. I will include a link in the description. So now I hope you know more about cohesion in a team and how to build stronger and more united teams. I hope you see that it is not rocket science. For leaders and managers out there, keep on building better teams. And remember that Max and I have your back. Thanks everybody for listening. If you like this podcast, uh, please give it a good review. You can also join our Better Teams podcast growing community on Facebook where you can start interacting with other fellow listeners and directly ask us questions that we can address in the next episode. Thank you for listening. See you in the next episode.